the S&P 500 now. That's more than what we saw in the, the tech boom 20 years ago. Was there any sign today that investors maybe are getting concerned about those levels for the tech stocks? Well, I think they're definitely frothy. Um, but if you take a forward view that these are the stocks of the future, you know, the, 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 the next big blue chips of the world, uh, as we talk about a third industrial revolution, um, then possibly, you know, that, that paradigm exists for the long term and those stocks are going to continue to perform. Uh, but I agree that uh, with your point that right now I think it's, it's frothy enough as a little bit of bad news comes in uh, vis-a-vis the, so the jobless claims that that's going to hit the tech sector because of the outperformance they've had right lately. So it's not surprising that uh, you might see a bit of profit-taking in that sector. Toby, have a great weekend. Thanks very much. That's Toby Lawson, Head of Global Markets at Societe General Australia. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Australia, the ASX 200 is slipping further into negative territory, down almost 1% now. Uh, Japanese stocks are closed for a holiday, but in South Korea, the Cosby is off 0.4%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open down close to 1% as well. Gold is uh, continuing its move towards all-time highs, trading at $1,886 an ounce. Uh, Brent crude oil also higher this morning, trading at $43.44 a barrel. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do have a great weekend and stay tuned to Radio 3 for back chats with Hugh Chiverton and Danny Gittings in just a moment. The weather forecast, fine and very hot. Maximum temperature is going to be about 34 degrees. There is a very hot weather warning in force. It will remain fine and very hot over the weekend, but then showers will increase gradually next week. Uh, The temperature right now, 29 degrees, and it's 81% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. President Trump has announced he's cancelling the main gathering of the Republican National Convention in Florida in August following a spike in coronavirus cases there. Speaking at a White House press briefing, Mr Trump said the timing wasn't right to go ahead with the event in Jacksonville. Here's the BBC's David Willis. He said that his political advisers had told him that there was a possibility of pulling it off safely, but he had made the decision himself that that uh, should not take place. He was making the decision, he said, in the interests of safety. Uh, Delegates will gather, he said, in North Carolina for the early part of the week-long convention, but there'll be no big speech in front of a full arena. That's something that uh, the Trump campaign had very much hope to see. Mr Trump said he'd give a speech ahead of US elections as planned but in a different form. The president was due to receive the party's nomination at the convention for November's presidential elections. The United States has arrested three Chinese nationals for visa fraud. The Justice Department said they lied about their status as members of China's armed forces. A fourth person, Zhuang Tang, has taken refuge in Beijing's consulate in San Francisco. Bethany Allen Ibrahimian is the reporter who broke the story in the U.S. We know that when Tang Juan was applying for this visa, a J-1 visa, that's a sort of a visiting researcher visa back in October, she she denied on her application that she had active military status. She denied being a member of the Chinese Communist Party. And yet federal, U.S. federal investigators have uh, found what they say is convincing evidence that she is, in fact, uh, affiliated with the Chinese military, has active military status, and that she's a member of the Chinese Communist Party. And they have thus charged her with visa fraud. 
The outgoing head of the World Trade Organization, Roberto Azevedo, has warned that the agency may not survive if it doesn't evolve. In his farewell speech, the Brazilian, who's quitting with world commerce badly damaged by the coronavirus pandemic, said constant reform was needed. Instead of spending years deciding what the reform can be or what should the reform encompass, I think we should move right ahead. We need to be fast. We need to be quick. Um, and as long as members decide these are things that we want to change, these are things that we want to do, uh, the organization has to have the tools and the mechanisms to respond quickly. Mr Azevedo warned if agreed trade rules were ditched, the fundamental pillars of peace and prosperity risk being lost. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chivers and your co-host today is Danny Gittings. Danny, good morning to you. Good morning. We're talking today about Sino-US tensions. The American Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, has just given a speech on communist China and the free world's future, in which he casts the US-China competition as a modern-day Cold War, saying that securing our freedoms from the Chinese Communist Party is the mission of our time and America is perfectly positioned to lead it. This follows the United States giving China 72 hours to close the consulate in Houston, quote, to protect American intellectual property and Americans' private information. Beijing has condemned the order and threatened retaliation. Why have relations reached this stage? Will Beijing wait until the U.S. elections in the hope that a new administration will want better relations? Is the U.S. consulate here in Hong Kong at risk? How should China respond? And apart from America, what other countries will be in possible dispute with China, especially the uh, EU? What are the prospects in Taiwan and the South China Sea? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us, and our number is 233-88266, 233-88266. In the second part of the programme this morning, we're going to be joined by uh, Mark Simon, or is a popular guest, and uh, David Zweiger, political scientist. Um, uh, but we are joined in this first part of the programme by Ilaria Maria Sala, a journalist and writer based in Hong Kong, and uh, Ross Feingold in Taiwan. Just before we get to them, uh, some uh, emails and discussion, some relating to yesterday's programme. Mike says... I can go to the internet and find out what the R number is uh, daily in each state in America. And Hong Kong News' latest update is July the 13th, like 10 days ago. That would tell us where we've been. It would be nice to know where we are to determine where we're going in this pandemic. Without any idea what the current effective reproduction number is, it seems difficult, if not impossible, to know if government is making correct decisions on our lives and livelihood. Uh, one says, this is on the uh, BNO, uh, according to the conditions for the new immigration route for BNO citizens posted on the British government's website, for the first five years, applicants from Hong Kong will be able to work and study, but won't be able to access public funds such as social welfare benefits and cannot use the NHS for free. That's the health service. After five years, they'll have to wait another 12 months before they can apply for British citizenship, and the process can take a year. So altogether, during the first seven years after moving there, BNO holders will have the privilege of paying hefty British taxes to fund the NHS 
NHS, welfare benefits for others, as well as full benefits given to refugees from places like Syria, which BNO holders will not enjoy. What a great deal for the British government. You can always rely on British politicians to extract profits from Hong Kong since the Opium War. No change for the past 178 years. And will some Hong Kong be self-loathing enough to take this up? You bet. That comes from one. Uh, Toby uh, has said in response to something that uh, Emily Lau said yesterday, uh, Emily has just said she hopes the UK government understands that some committed political offences, these were possible people getting BNO passports, that some committed, quote, political offences because they were angry. Does she regard killing a man as a political offence? Uh, James says China has sought to arrest and repatriate hundreds of corrupt cadre runaways and their ill-gotten gains, even before the unilateral announcement of the breach of the UN Lodged Treaty, the Joint Declaration. China was struggling to effect extraditions from New Zealand and Sweden, where high courts feared the arrested parties would suffer torture and execution under China's legal system. Uh, the New Zealand and Swedish high courts rejected extradition, even after recognising the arrestees were guilty. Uh, USA, Canada, Australia, UK have suspended extradition with China due to their actions in Hong Kong, with New Zealand likely to follow suit and the EU debating their next actions. China relies on countries it funds with the Belt and Road overtures to vote that what it did in breaching the treaty was OK, while free nations are repulsed. China is the lawbreaker by breaching the UN treaty it signed with Britain. Now it's in effect reinstalling the extradition law, which sends Hong Kongers into the streets. Peter says, as the latest polls indicate, Team Trump faces an election loss. Instead of addressing deep-rooted domestic issues, it looks like Trump wants to go out with a bang and, in the worst case, to take millions of Americans and Chinese with him by starting World War III. Unless more evidence is forthcoming, measures against China taken by the US in recent weeks look like a coordinated, stepped-up effort to use China as the bogeyman and distract US voters from Trump's administration's disastrous response to the pandemic, countrywide riots, institutionalised racism and a myriad of other socio-economic problems back home. Disappointed that the war with China, uh, his top officials and Steve Bannon have long predicted, is not forthcoming on its own now appear determined to arrange one, cold or hot, before they might lose power. It should be the duty of the US allies to expose and resist any effort by the US to provoke a regional war, which quickly could escalate into World War III, even going nuclear, just to save Trump's re-election and give in to anti-China hawks who wishes to stop China's rise at all costs and ultimately attempt to split the country and its people. That's from Peter. One more from uh, Martin, who says, uh, on the uh, closure of the consulate, the US government ordered the, uh, the consulate based on a slew of factless accusations of Chinese hacking and surveillance. As usual, without presenting any verifiable evidence, it's almost always US propaganda. In addition, the United States decided to end Hong Kong's preferential treatment, ignoring the city's one-country, two-system one two status. Hong Kong would be treated the same as mainland China, Trump said. In light of the these circumstances, China should just close the US consulate in Hong Kong in retaliation, especially as there's ample evidence of direct interference into Hong Kong internal affairs and political process by the United States and its locally based diplomats. For instance, remember the meeting of the US consulate's political counsellor, Julie Ide, with uh, Joshua Wong, Nathan Law, as well as fellow core members of Demosisto. That's from Martin. We're joined for the first half of the show. We're joined by Ilaria Maria Sala, who's a writer based in Hong Kong, and by Ross Feingold. Ross Feingold, an Asia political risk analyst. Good morning. Welcome to the show. 
Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Ross Feingold, let's go to you first. I mean, we've, we've had this speech from uh, Pompeo, the US Secretary for State, overnight, and um, almost, uh, what's happening here? Are we going into, into a, some people just see a new Cold War? Oh, well, some people say we've already passed that point where we're in some kind of uh, war, although calling it a war might be a bit cliche at this point. Uh, I don't know. We, you, you, now you, people you, are calling it a Cold War. You were listening to our listeners just now. One of them was talking about World War Three. Well, uh, fortunately, it's not a shooting war either, and let's hope it never becomes a, a shooting war. But the uh, U.S. government likes to use this phrase, all of government. So we see various agencies across the span of, of government, whether it's agencies dealing with visa fraud or intellectual property theft, religious freedom, and all the various issues that, that are on the bilateral agenda that, uh, frankly, in a bipartisan way, a lot of people in the U.S. feel were left unaddressed. So we see an administration that's very eager to take on these issues. And again, there's a certain level of bipartisan support for this, certainly in the U.S. Congress. Uh, but given that we're in an election season, we'll also have a lot of critics say that the Trump administration is doing this to divert attention from other issues. But nobody is going to be criticizing the Trump administration for being too tough on China, right? That seems to be the direction we are, but, but there, there is a big however there, and the, there is an opponent. There's a Biden team. There's a foreign policy team. They're going to be all over the media in the coming weeks and months saying, yes, we should be tougher on China, but the way the Trump administration is doing it is all wrong. They should be working with other countries and have better alliances. And then, of course, the, the Trump administration is going to say, what are you talking about? We have the U.K. cooperating with us on Huawei. We are reversing their earlier decision. Other countries cooperating on Huawei or criticizing uh, events in Hong Kong or Xinjiang. So the Trump administration will push back on that. And then ultimately, it's, it's obviously up to the voters in November. Are we looking at some sort of historic turning point here in Sino-U.S. relations? I mean, you, if you listen to Mike Pompeo's speech uh, la la last night, he talks about uh, Nixon's opening to China. He doesn't say that was wrong, but he kind of suggests that the, that, that path has, has, has reached its limits and hasn't brought, borne out what was hoped for at the time. Well, the reality is a lot of people do think it was wrong. Right? An increasing number of, of uh, experts are saying you know, the hopes for, for a happier relationship and a China that behaves more in line with U.S. or Western expectations is, has not, not occurred, as had originally hoped. I think Bob Pompeo was, uh, believe it or not, and I say this, Partially in jest, uh, he was being a bit diplomatic uh, compared to uh, what he might have really wanted to say, believe it or not. Uh, so, uh, again, th th this is going to get some criticism because people are going to say you're going about it all wrong, even though we do need to be tough on China. And if Biden should win, uh, I mean, of course, they're going to look to make some adjustments, maybe on, on trade issues, just to reward some of their constituencies that help them get elected, whether it's uh, farmers or other types of workers. So, uh, you know, in, in a way, it's difficult to answer your question simply because we're in the, in the final few months of an administration, whether it wins or loses. It's better to have this conversation in January. Uh, is Taiwan, uh, whether it's hot or cold war, going to be in the front line? A absolutely, because uh, there, there's no contact between the two governments, uh, the government in Beijing and government in Taipei. Popular opinion in Taiwan is pretty clear, as evidenced by the election results both in 2016 2020. Uh, the, the developments in Hong Kong and the very vociferous position of the Taiwan government uh, on Hong Kong is also uh, adding to, to the issues on, on that 
trilateral Hong Kong, Taiwan, Beijing agenda. You have U.S. weapon sales, U.S. military movements uh, in the South China Sea and the Taiwan Strait, bipartisan support in the United States for Taiwan, and uh, ultimately, you know, how much does Xi Jinping want to accomplish with regard to Taiwan during his time in office, no matter how long it lasts? You know, people say he's going to be, be there for life. That remains to be seen. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's really going to be uh, up to the Chinese leadership how aggressive they want to be on Taiwan issues as well. Isn't there an argument on their side that if relations with uh, the outside world are in such a deep freeze anyway, then um, it's an ideal time to deal with Taiwan because so, you, the, so much of the diplomatic damage has been inflicted already. Yeah, that, that, that's a, a, also a, a common uh, way that people look at these issues now, right? They say, oh, the U.S. Navy's got problems, there, there's virus, there was a fire. Uh, you know, U.S. Is, is focused on the election, they're focused on the virus, the global economic turndown. Great time for China to be more aggressive. But what, what I always tell uh, people here in Taipei is you have to think every day like China might take aggressive action, whether it's times when relations are good or times when relations are poor, like now. I mean, you can't assume that uh, today is safer than tomorrow. I mean, you always have to prepare for the worst, even if you hope for the best. So, uh, you know, I would caution people in Taiwan about thinking, like, well, maybe they will, maybe they won't. I mean, Taiwan always has to be prepared. Elaria Maria Sala, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Could you tell us a little bit about the EU? Because we're kind of getting mixed signals, blowing hot and cold, perhaps from the EU uh, on, on China uh, with a trade agreement, but still sort of criticism over human rights issues uh, and so on. Uh, are they going to uh, jump in on one side? Well, I think what you described is just the EU as its normal. The way they do send this kind of more mixed signals is just part of the structure of the EU. The EU is not one country. It's um, always trying to act unilaterally. Uh, sorry, um, in, um, everyone has to agree. And uh, the way in which they, they do that means that um, one of the complaints that you have from many European uh, state members or analysts is that the EU lacks a unified um, foreign policy, which is reflected in this kind of blowing hot and cold as you described it. I think that the general feeling that we see in a much more forceful way coming out of the U.S. about developments in China having been very different from what the expectation was and what the hope was are also felt strongly in many EU countries. Um, we do have a bit of a difference between Western EU countries and Eastern EU countries, um, which are also more linked to um, the approach towards Chinese investments in those countries. Um, so I think that in a way it is not so simple to reply whether the EU is going to fully follow the US or fully follow um, the UK in this aspect. And we're going to see a more piecemeal approach to the various issues that come up. And maybe we see sort of the individual, individual of the bigger nations within the EU, like France and Germany. Germany, you saw the German foreign minister talking with the British foreign minister about China just yesterday. Uh, maybe that the, they will follow their own path um, and just uh, not wait for the EU. Um, again, I 
can, it depends. It depends a lot. Because on some more unpopular decisions or some decisions which may carry greater consequences, often even bigger countries prefer to do so under the umbrella of the EU so that whatever consequences there are are more widely shared and they're more widely also supported in a way by member states. We do see, for example, as you, as you were mentioning, Germany for quite a while was, uh, especially through this long Merkel mandate, she has always kept a different attitude towards China and uh, a more open one, a more let's have more dialogue, let's separate business from other things. And uh, this is starting to change a bit, not so much because Merkel herself is changing, but because public opinion is something that democratic leaders have to answer. And uh, in this case, public opinion in general in Europe is shifting. And that's because of coronavirus more than anything else, isn't it? I mean, that's what's changed international attitudes towards China is because people, when they catch coronavirus, they do do blame China for it. No, I think that that would set the beginning of this shift way too recently. Um, There have been a number of uh, issues that have been been causing attrition. One of them... Maybe has, maybe some of the attrition has been exacerbated during the coronavirus crisis, but I think that at least in Europe, at least from what I'm, of course I'm, I'm here in Hong Kong, so I can't tell you exactly what the feeling of the in Europe is, but uh, it seems to me that this aspect is getting less uh, strong, especially as people are aware that there are all these different strains and there are all these different um, things that are happening uh, in terms of how the virus is spreading, etc. So I think that the real issue is more to do with a certain uh, aggression on the part of um, the, uh, you know, what we've been calling the wolf warrior diplomacy, uh, which hasn't gone down well anywhere. And uh, also because it's been such a shift. So it seems to me, okay, now China is wealthier, now China is um, stronger in a more general way, so we are now going to be bullied, which completely broke this kind of idea that many in Europe had that China was going to be a good counterpoint to the real or perceived hegemony of the U.S. The moment that China presents itself as a second hegemon, people are going like, oh dear, this is not what we were expecting. We were hoping more for an ally than someone who comes and dictates terms as the U.S. has been doing. So this has started way before. And the other thing which has thrown a lot, a lot of discontent, even before we go into uh, more specific cases, like Hong Kong, for example, has been this... um, the way in which China has been courting, especially East European countries, and in a way making decisions in the EU harder to take, because, um, as we were saying earlier, um, the EU needs to have a total consensus when it takes a decision. And the Eastern, the, the former Eastern block, in a sense, the, the countries that have joined the EU, like Poland, Hungary, etc., 
have been uh, courted by China in a way that wasn't simply economical. And so they have been pushing and uh, obtaining a kind of political support inside the EU that has been seen as very um, problematic because it basically ended up with divided loyalties or whether people were representatives were actually following the main EU guidelines on uh, a lot of issues from human rights onwards, uh, or they were following their desire to have a closer relationship with China. So this has been riling many people in Brussels. Uh, you know, if you're looking around for allies for the uh, for um, China, um, you know, there's tension in uh, ASEAN, there's Japan, there's Australia uh, problems, there's India now uh, especially. What about Russia, though? What about Russia? Where does Russia stand vis-a-vis China now? Um, where does Russia stand? Well, I think that to make a very uh, a very clear analysis of that is not too easy, because Russia and China have had, um, for decades, a lot of commonalities, a lot of uh, uh, shared aims at the same time there are some deep differences and to this day we can see that they don't 100% trust each other. They may be um, often on the same side on certain issues because they react to a threat or a perceived threat that they share but when it comes to them doing a lot in a lot together or really pushing for certain agendas or certain principles together, that never really seems to take off. So there is a lot of mistrust between the two, and um, what seems to be a more opportunistic alliance very often. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, Ross Feingold, when you had that vote on the, uh, in the UN, on the, um, on the Hong Kong... Um, the US, uh, uh, the Human Rights Commission, right? Yeah, the Human Rights Commission. You've got a lot of Middle Eastern countries supporting China. You've got a lot of African countries. You've got a lot of the developing world and the Middle East, as well as Russia, are on China's side. Is that the, you know, how substantial is that support, do you think? It shows that an important goal of China's foreign policy is not necessarily to have friends per se, or, or let alone allies, uh, but uh, when we're talking about these different geographies, whether some of the countries in, in, in Europe that have retracted criticism for their human rights records or attacks on an independent judiciary, or countries that are even more problematic in that regard, the Middle East, if China gets their support in international forums that, 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 or, or letters on, on Xinjiang that, that China has successfully obtained, you know, th- this is a, a good outcome for China's foreign policy. It might not be liked in the Western world, uh, and these countries maybe don't trust China, but if they, if they could have a commonality that we won't interfere or criticize your internal affairs and you won't do it to us, you know, that that's a win-win situation for the, for China together with those countries. Uh, so we should keep that in mind as well. China's not necessarily looking for best friends, but at least getting that kind of level of support along with the trade relationships. That's a positive outcome for China's foreign policy. And how effective is U.S. pressure on these countries? We've seen some examples of the like the U.S. criticizing countries that uh, cut relations with Taiwan. Um, is that we get into a point where the U.S. Might, might be saying to some countries, "You need to choose between us and China." 
Yeah, well, the U.S. could say that. I, we, we know from, from recent events that it's very tough. I mean, you mentioned the Middle East. Uh, the U.S. generally has good relations with a lot of those governments, especially on the security side, uh, in some cases trade, especially uh, Gulf states, the oil-producing states. Uh, but when it came to some other China-related issues, they were also uh, you know, cooperating with China, and China's also a customer or an investor for those countries. They don't want the criticism of their own internal human rights record, so they, they have a, uh, some commonalities with China as well. So the U.S. could try, but we know from recent events that it's very, very difficult to, to make those countries pick a side. All right, some contrasting views from our listeners. Vic says, Dear Backchat, the USA has always been a goon throwing its weight around. The only difference is they used to practice their thuggery in the shadows and smoke-filled rooms. One should thank Tantrum Trump and his goon-in-chief for being honest by coming out into the open and making the unofficial official. As for the support from various countries like UK, India, Australia, etc., I'm sure there's a lot of arm-twisting happening behind the scenes. USA provokes countries to an extent that they are forced to react, and when they react, the USA cries foul. It's important that countries stand up to the global bully or they'll only get more and more bold and aggressive. I'm no fan of the CCP as they are no saints, but it's good they are standing their ground. Uh, Mike says, the last time you had a discussion about China's aggression in the South China Sea, your China hawk pivoted on the subject and diverted mentioning US presence. China's proposed line of ownership extends to Indonesia and Malaysia. China ignores the world court and continues. It would control all, if not for USA involvement. Drake says, you bad back chat. This topic is a trap. The National Security Bureau will investigate anyone who shows the slightest weakness in condemning or worse, expressing understanding towards the latest US actions. Beware. That's the advice from uh, Drake. And uh, Phil B says, I think this is in reaction to like American complaints. Visa fraud. What a joke. The Chinese now need to be tough on the US. Probably a large number of Americans in China are CIA now that is visa fraud thank you very much indeed for, for that uh, comment uh, once again backchat.rthk.hk is our uh, email address uh, any more comments on Facebook yeah Barbara says obviously USA is in desperation people must do crazy things uh, while desperate okay well we thank very much indeed Ilaria uh, uh, Maria Sala a writer based in Hong Kong and Ross Feingold Asia political risk analyst based in uh, Taiwan in the first part of the programme Mark Simon and uh, David Zweig will be joining us uh, after the news at nine fingers crossed if you want to engage give us a call 233-88266 the best way to do it the weather before the news fine and very hot temperatures up to about 34 degrees in the urban areas there's a very hot weather warning now 30 degrees relative humidity is at 77 percent Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Friday morning with uh, Danny Gittings and me, Hugh Churton. We're talking about aspects of uh, Sino-US tensions. Uh, following that speech just uh, given by the American Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, and the, the deadline for the uh, for clearing out the uh, Houston consulate, uh, it'll be interesting to see what actually uh, happens there because um, the uh, Chinese authorities have said that they will carry on working as normal. So there'll be some kind of showdown there. Perhaps uh, some a lot of comment from 
from uh, listeners. Uh, of course, on Facebook, TC says the laundry list of countries having grievances with China is growing. Alongside the Five Eyes, India now has a border dispute. The uh, COV made many uh, other countries realise they could no longer be silent about China. Even China's most important ally in the West, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, has now attracted criticisms within her own party over China. Adam says those countries which have not criticised China have signed on to the Belt and Road. Economics is being put ahead of human rights and other political issues. I would not put out much faith uh, in these countries. Uh, Tom, though, says Pompeo has made increasingly threatening remarks and now engaging gunboat diplomacy by sending two aircraft carriers to the South China Sea. I'll be interested for Backchat to question its China experts. If the US and China started shooting down each, each other's places and ships, uh, planes, I think he means, and ships in a tit-for-tat and some sort of small-scale war developed. How would this affect Hong Kong? The US has been struggling for decades in an unwinnable war against two second-world banana republics. Clearly a war against a first-world nuclear power with five times the manufacturing capacity is utterly unwinnable. That comes uh, from Tom. Uh, and... Uh, this is uh, from Matthew, and this is addressed to uh, David Zweig, um, one of my guests uh, in this section. Matthew says, I think it's quite important to have some background information on the potentially related or conflicting interests of backchat guests so we can take these into account when assessing their views. We know a lot about Mark Simon, both from public information as well as gossip and CCP propaganda. For example, he is Jimmy Lai's right-hand man, an active Republican, a CIA spy, a CIA spy and so on. However, I'd like to know more about David Zweig. I recall hearing on previous programs that he was a professor, but also he had a business offering consulting services in relation to mainland China. I'm particularly interested in the latter, as in my understanding, it's really difficult or even impossible for anyone who relies on mainland China for business or income to speak fully, openly and frankly about the CCP. I wonder if David agrees, and if so, how he deals with this challenge in his China commentary. That comes from Matthew. Okay, as Matthew mentioned, we have uh, David Zweig, Director of Transnational China Consulting Limited, and Professor Emeritus at the Division of Social Science and Director at HKUST. And we also have Mark Simon, columnist, Next Media. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, David Zweig, I think, to be fair, we after one of our listeners raised issues about sure. your affiliations. Do, do, do you want to say something about your, 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 your affiliations? Sure. Um, uh, I don't think... Well, let me say, I'm not back in Hong Kong yet, uh, so uh, I have not uh, talked to people extensively about the pressure that people feel because of the national security law um, and their willingness to speak or not to speak. But I don't feel, I mean, I don't consult uh, in China or take people into China. Largely what I've done is I've spoken to people outside of China about China, but I get access to China. I mean, you know, this is kind of funny that you're having me have this conversation with Mark um, on the line, and I will set aside, though I'm angry, and continue to be angry at him. Can we leave behind what, whatever may have happened in previous shows, David? Yeah, I feel, I feel that I'm pretty honest. Um, I, uh, you know, I've always said I don't uh, advocate the overthrow of the Communist Party, and I don't advocate independence for any of the territories uh, that are that China sees, though we can get into a discussion about uh, the you know the autonomy level of or sort of the role of Taiwan. But um, other than that, I think I've uh, you can go back and look at the South China Morning Post uh, and look at the stuff I've written. I've criticized C for not bringing forth reforms. I sort of see myself as 
having good relationships with reformers in China, not with hardliners in China who don't like me, okay. um, but with reformers in China. And when I see people in China who are willing to think about how to make China a better society, uh, I'll engage them. But when I see things that I don't like, uh, you know, um, I'm not afraid to criticize them. Okay. Uh, yeah, sorry, let's yeah. move on to the focus of, of today's show, and uh, particularly sure. the, the latest developments coming out of the U.S. First of all, um, the closure of uh, the, con the consulate in Houston, and then this um, speech overnight from Mike Pompeo, where, as I mentioned earlier, he didn't uh, directly repudiate uh, Nixon's um, opening to China, but he seemed to suggest that that path has, has reached its course. Yeah, you want me to comment on yes, this? Yes, yes. So, what sure. do you make of it? It so, looks so, like I mean, a fairly major change. I mean, let's put this on the table other guests first. May think, Mark just... and I tend to have totally different positions on this, so I, I would start with that. My, my view is that basically what you've got is you've got a small, I mean, you've got a group of people around Trump uh, who have decided to, I mean, there's two have decided to directly challenge the entire relationship with China. Now, there's a lot of hostility, I think, within the United States. And if you look at Australia, you look at Canada, you look around the world, a lot of people are really pissed off at China. And I don't deny that. Um, but, but I still see this in part as linked to uh, President Trump's uh, re-election campaign, and that part of the path to re-election, one is to be the president of law and order, and so he's instituted these uh, policies uh, in within the United States to send troops or to organize troops to go into cities. And one of his main targets is China. He's going to try and use China as a way to get reelected. And I'll repeat myself: I don't say that China, you know, in terms of military sending, you know, the the issue with uh, the, the Houston or the, the the thing in San Francisco, the the four people who uh, who are charged or accused of being military and having lied on their 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 visa applications, I'm, I'm pretty confident that they did that. Uh, th there's clearly a, a program in China to try and get uh, military information, military technology out of the United States. Don't deny it. You know. What, um, what, what but, about but, the? But this. Yeah. But, this, but what we're seeing now is a ratcheting up really intensification so you've got your three you've basically got trump and his three three horsemen right uh bar uh, uh just you know, secretary of justice Barr. you've got ray the head of the fbi and pompeo and the three of them are out traveling all over the country uh, making their making speeches and they've decided that they are going to declare war on uh, u.s china policy and, and and that's a very risky thing to do. Jerome Cohen commenting uh, on this, uh, who's no friend of the, you know, of uh, the, of Beijing, uh, did said, you know, they this is a this is a big step um, closing a consulate, uh, and they better have a very good reason to do it, and they haven't had a good reason so far. There doesn't seem to be anything in what Pompeo said that gives that particular reason, does it? What I mean, do you understand the consulate as being uh, really stepping over a line? Well, it's, you know, as I said, I think they've really decided to ratchet this up. Um, uh, yeah, Jerome, I mean, I saw some of the emails that Jerome, that Jerry's written, 
and uh, he wants to know what what the reason is. Now we do know again that Houston. There's a lot of stuff that goes on around Houston. Houston's a major medical center, a major science center, a major defense industry sector. Um, so there could be people uh, who have been connected with the consulate uh, who have been engaged in some kind of uh, information gathering, if you want to call it spying, um, in, in, the, in the region. But I would think that we would like to see um, better information about why they're doing this before they ratchet up uh, and intensify this confrontation. I mean, they've declared, I think that they've basically decided to declare war on U.S.-China policy. And, and they need to explain that. And, that, that, you know, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I mean, what, what more can I say? I mean, the, the problem is China invites some of this stuff, you know? I mean, nobody, and Mark, you know, can get, you know, people can say, nobody's saying, I mean, most of us are not saying that China's this innocent, you know, victim. Uh, they do engage in a lot of stuff, and we wish they wouldn't do it. There's no doubt that we wish that they wouldn't do it. And if we, those of us who would like to see, you know, some kind of balanced relationship, just get, get really annoyed with China when they do a lot of this stuff. Okay. Uh, and it hurts the Chinese themselves. Look, these, these four people who get arrested for spying, you know, what's that going to reflect on Chinese professors living in the United States, teaching at universities all over the United States, who are honest citizens, right, who came to the United States because they wanted to have a good life, they wanted to study, they're contributing to the United States, they're contributing to U.S.-China relations in terms of scientific engagement, this kind of stuff really hurts. You're saying it but, hurts but the, the Chinese. And do you think that there must be... It hurts sure, both. Surely it there hurts must... the United States. It hurts the relationship. But it's not, you know... Go ahead. On the Chinese side, there must surely be murmurings in Beijing about how Xi Jinping has sort of undermined half a decade of, um, of uh, Chinese foreign policy, which has been to build better relations with the outside world, and now it gets undermined in a matter of years. Yes, but they won't say anything. I know, yes, but Chinese are very good at saying things in code, right, and making historical well, analogies. But, but and... also, he's really powerful, you know, there's all these articles that every once in a while someone would say, oh, is there going to be a coup against him, is there going to be a movement against him? I mean, I, you know, Forbes wrote this article, I just read it two, two three days ago, called, is it time to fire the CEO? You know, saying, if you look at all the mistakes that, that uh, all the areas... And I, and I wrote something in the South China a while ago called Too, too Much Too Soon, you know, just saying that, that he's just way overshot, you know. Um, the Belt and Road is in trouble. I mean, a lot of his policies are in trouble, but nobody's going to do anything about it because he's so strong. Okay. Right? He's very secure. Mark Simon. Militarily, I mean, in, in his position in the leadership. All right. Mark Simon, uh, good morning to you. Good day to you. Thanks for, for, for joining us once again. Uh, is it is it desperation from trump and his his little band of uh, hawks that's uh, driving this no. extraordinary measures no I mean, that's kind of a ridiculous thought process to be honest with you china's an evil regime the ccp is an evil regime we've been having problems for years with them the simple fact of the matter is that a lot of the relationship people don't like to get it is basically china's elevated itself to a threat to the united states you can go back even to the Obama administration, 2014-15. All of a sudden, I couldn't get a, you know, I couldn't get a lunch there for many, many years. And all of a sudden, they magically they want to start seeing people. And the reason why is because they basically got taken to the cleaners by China. We've had the South.
down, we've got the spying, we've got all these things. Look, at the end of the day, it's a communist regime that is essentially being aggressive in every single place there is. There's no doubt that one of their goals is to displace the United States. Why is there any misunderstanding that the United States is going to push back and a Republican administration is going to probably push back a little bit more than anybody else. And right now, one of the things, because we'll be faced, we'll have a Biden administration probably reasonably soon, people are looking at who's going to make up the Biden administration. And there's a battle going on there where you have the old engagement people, the folks who think this is going to go back to the way it is. I was in D.C. in you know, the first part, last part of June and early July. It's pretty easy to see people now because there's nothing going on. And, you know, as a two major journalists, uh, both of the left, said to me, China has no friends in Washington, D.C. China has no friends in the U.S. I saw a major university president in New York City. I mean, I was just outside of New York City, a big university. And we were talking, and he said, he said his faculty and his senior staff, he said, literally tell him all the time, let's just get um, – Let's just get for some of our for some of our STEM programs. Let's just work on getting people from Europe and from the other places. We're tired of you know basically constantly having these twenty eight year old Chinese guys show up, and we don't know what they're doing, and we have to spend all our day. It's a major problem. But the real issue is is why is anybody surprised? I don't understand. There is this. There is this. Uh, it's. The relationship with China for a lot of people, it's like a religion. Oh, we've got to have it. Oh, we need it. Oh, we have to do it. Look, all we have to do is trade with them. All we have to do is, you know, make sure we're not shooting at each other. All the other stuff, nothing has worked for the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I, last night I was having a conversation with two New York Times journalists. Um, I was having you know, dinner with them. And my constant thing was, they're like, oh, you know, my constant thing is constantly is like, what have we gotten out of this? What has the U.S. gotten out of this? And, it, and that worm turned a long time ago. It turned, it turned before Trump. And you got to remember, Trump came in, and you know, Xi Jinping's my best friend, which drove Xi Jinping crazy. But you know, you've got to, you, you kind of remember. I mean, essentially, there's been really no, not one single bit. They haven't. China hasn't slowed down one single bit. And then you get this ridiculous thing yesterday. Like, well, maybe we won't close down the consulate. That's fine. How's that going to go? Who, who does that? You know what I'm saying? Oh, we don't recognize it. Pompeo. You're telling us you don't recognize U.S. laws? Yeah. Mike Pompeo seems to be uh, the, the most obvious frontman for the... Uh um, speaking out on U.S.-China policy now. You, you saw he's making that speech yesterday. I mean, how, how much of this is being driven by Pompeo? It's being driven. It's, 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 look, it's across the board here. You know, it's, it's literally across the board. If you go over to the left on, on Capitol Hill with, uh, with uh, Pelosi and with Sherman and with Engel and with all these people, they're starting to drive it there. There's a major concern, and I, I do like it among the Bernie people, and people are thinking that, look, Obama and the Obama administration was horrible on human rights. Everybody knows their idea of the human rights campaign was basically holding up a hashtag. It, it, it's essentially, we are looking at, it's not just Pompeo. That's the thing that kind of um, that kind of you know cracks me up a little bit. I heard a story when I 
uh, when I was, was, was listening to somebody the other day, and they were talking about, like, basically the Scientology community in the Biden camp. If you watch inside that camp, they're trying to figure out their position. Is it going to be Eli Ratner? Is it going to be this? Now, my belief is the Biden people will probably be more engagement-oriented, and the Chinese may feel some may, may feel some relief. But I don't think it's going to last very long. And I don't think the other thing is, is that I don't think there's going to be uh, I don't think there's going to be this idea that somehow that like oh you know the Sinologists, the China hands will handle China. Unfortunately, that's one of the things that's gotten us into this. In other words, the idea that like you know we'll handle this and we'll handle that. I'll criticize Jerome Cohen. I mean, I, I think Jerome basically does some great great work, but I mean you know he's more concerned about the legal structures and everything like that. But, you know, we're out of the courtroom and we're having a street fight. And so I'd love to be able to stay in the courtroom, but I might point to Jerome and recently, and, and Jerome's a highly partisan man, but I mean, my point to Jerome is, is that, look, we're in a street fight now. And so I appreciate everything you're saying. I think you're mostly right when you're in your element, but we're out of his element. So we're in a street and, fight. And we're in a street fight. We're in a street fight. What's the next stage? Uh, close more consulates, as Trump was suggesting the other day? I, I, I think the thing is, I think what we're going to do is we're going to have to find the baseline all the way down. I mean, I think, the, I think the Chinese are being bellicose right now, I think. But I think they're also coming back. I mean, we saw the prime minister, the foreign minister the other day. He gave two speeches. The second speech was basically where he told us to go stuff it. But the first speech was actually an attempt to reach out. So I do believe that there are people up there that are looking to reach out. China's got tremendous pressure on them. I think one of the things that people are not really shouldn't grasp in the U.S. is, and I think that I think it'd be incorrect to think the U.S. is not trying. There is nobody really trying to like say you know defeat China. There's nobody trying to overthrow the Chinese Communist Party, other than a few. Wackadoodles and a few, a few other people. And you I don't think Navarro would like to see the CCP gone. Who? Navarro. Navarro. Oh, I think I would like. Look, I would like to see the CCP gone. I would like to see the Communist Party in anywhere in the world. I don't like communists. And I think we all do that. But I think Navarro would rather have a trade deal. I mean, the thing is, is like what we want when we walk into a room. When I walk into a business deal, I'd like to maybe take all the money off the table, but I know that won't work, so that's not really one of my goals. And anyway, I, can, I, I, do can I comment? Yeah, go on, David Zweig. Yeah, I was going to say on the, the Biden, um, I mean, it's good that Mark's been talking to people in D.C. My, my sense is that, I mean, as you describe, Mark, the, the general consensus in Washington that uh, sort of anger at China I don't think Biden's, you know, people I've talked to have said that Biden's going to have a really hard time moving back to, to engagement. Um, and That's that true. On, on trade, he's going to be equally as tough, uh, maybe even less interested in a trade deal because Trump uh, has it. You know, the, the one thing that sort of keeps pulling things back from the brink I see the three horsemen is trying to push it further, and then every once in a while Trump will say, now, wait a second, I want my trade deal. Now, that may be something that is now falling by the wayside, but one of the things that's been pulling back 
holding. I mean, if you read uh, a lot of the recent books that have come out, there's this great book by Davis and, and Way. I mean, you get the sense that within the White House there are the, there are the hawks and even the trade hawks. But but each time they push, Trump will then back off, and as you said, Mark, he'll say, "Oh, seize my friend. I still need the friendship," and he still wanted. He thought that the trade deal would be really important to his reelection because the economics was going to drive him in the White House. Right. But each time he's pushed that, you know, then that, well, each time that they've pushed forward, the the horsemen have pushed forward with a, with a greater confrontation. Trump has pulled them back. Now it seems maybe he won't be. All right, we got, that, may so we got, big, that may be a big change, but I don't think Biden's in any position. I mean, Biden's going to try and out, out anti-China Trump. Uh, I think largely, uh, particularly on trade, he's got Bernie. He's got. Uh, got uh, uh, is China is China holding Democratic out? Party. Are they waiting? Are they waiting for Biden? Is because you know the oh, response. absolutely. Uh, the response absolutely. has been kind of absolutely. muted, hasn't it, so far? Yeah, no, but I'm mean, not sure. I mean, if they're, they're paying attention to what Biden's writing. And what Biden's saying, Biden's expressing as much economic nationalism as Trump has. I mean, here in Canada, the Canadians are very nervous about a Biden presidency, uh, equally as nervous as when they look at, at the things that he's saying about, about trade with Canada. I mean, he's going to take, a, it's quite possible that he will take a very tough uh, uh, trade policy. Okay. Uh, and Mark, that will make it tougher. Mark Simon? Yeah, I mean... I, I, I think I think the thing is that there was a there was a, a belief there was an attempted belief that economists and some of the other people pushed it and it was one the Biden campaign that the Chinese oh you know the Chinese prefer you know they they'll prefer dealing with Trump because they feel the chaos that he causes in the world is 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 problematic for the Americans. I think the problem they have with that is basically thanks to Huawei and thanks to some other Chinese actions, particularly with the Uyghurs now, is catching all over the fire. Is I think they essentially said, okay, now what we'd rather do. I think Foreign Minister Wang came out when he said that that was more. I saw it, and a lot of people saw it as largely a uh, a love letter to to uh, to to Trump. I mean, to uh, to the Biden camp. I think the thing is, is that I think there is uh, David's right. I think probably it will be very, very, very difficult for Biden to move back. That said, unfortunately, um, you know, you do have this cross-pollinization, and it's very interesting The Bernie people are very aware of it, you know. You have this basically, this still, the establishment class in China relations are still liberals, they're still Democrats for the most part. There's not a, the Republicans, the AEI and Heritage and all the other places have been hawks for a long time. Okay. So can Biden come back? My personal belief is, I think what the time Chinese will do is they'll look for a reset I think Biden will be cool to it for a couple of months, but then I think the natural instincts uh, of any administration from its people are going to come through. My belief is, is pretty simple. I think probably six or seven months in, uh, you'll have all these guys like the Rich Age Society and everybody else, they'll be holding conferences saying, a new beginning, a new beginning, a new beginning. And then probably will be just like, in my mind, the nature of the Chinese Communist Party, my mind will probably be Marco Rubio and all the, and even the Democrats on Capitol Hill. They'll let Biden reach out. The Chinese will do something, and everybody. It'll be a much shorter window. In other words, it'll be quiet, three or four months of activity, and I think by the first part of the fall, 
unfortunately, we'll be right back into this. In other right. words, because I, 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 I really okay. don't. Well, I, t- I tell you what, we got we got we got a caller on the line. Uh, Mike uh, okay. wants to say something. Hi, Mike. Politics aside, for just a second, China's got some major issues that I do not hear on the news at all, and that's the major flooding. This is completely wiping out a whole season of crops and the major droughts up in the north that are wiping out uh, an entire season of drought. I think that the politics are going to really start playing when the, when the people of China are going to be running out of food. When the Three Gorges Dam is moving and it's developed huge cracks, if you lose that dam... What's the, what flooding is going to take place then? There's some major issues going on in China that nobody talks about. Well, Apple yeah. Daily talks about it quite a, quite a lot. Uh, <laughs> David Zweig, yeah, any, any I thoughts? I don't hear, I, I don't well, hear the, in this discussion, uh, the politics are, you know, the politics are what they are, but I think once China starts starving, these guys, these guys that are running the show, they're going to have some real major problems on their hand. Sure. And the, okay. and the fact that China blows up dams, floods out complete areas, and um, aren't doing anything to those people. All right, David Zweig, you want to comment? Yeah, I was just going to say that I don't think that, I mean, even the last time when I was on with you guys, I mean, we don't downplay the problems that Xi Jinping is facing. You've got, what, 14, 15% unemployment. You've got youth unemployment that may be close to 20%. I mean, the virus has caused all kinds of problems. I mean, there's a long list. I mean, you may focus... Mike, uh, the listener, you may focus on on the food issue, but I think that's something, in fact, that China tends to be able to handle pretty well. But the internal, um, uh, but again, you know, you don't like to see this, but ash, you know, the ash institute that uh, the ash center at uh, the Kennedy School just came out with a new study that shows that, in fact, the Communist Party is reasonably pretty popular. The one thing I would say about what Mark was saying before about Biden having this opening, I think Biden's going to have a hard time doing an opening when you've got 66% of Americans who don't trust China. I mean, again, uh, China has created this problem for itself. It's in the worst position it's been in Australia. Australia has somehow seen, we were talking about the South China Sea, right? It was one of the things we were going to talk about. The Australians who, who were trapped for a long time between wanting to do business with China and wanting to have security with the United States, they're willing to take the hit on trade. This has reached a new level hmm. where, where many Australians are saying, okay, well, you know, our bread used to be buttered um, uh, in China, and now the Chinese have been doing things that just make us feel that we're going to stick with the United States. The security is the bigger issue. They were, it was their ships that went through the South China Sea. So I think China's created... I don't disagree. I think China's created an external environment uh, for itself that's really problematic. Okay. Um, but internally, they've, sure, they've got lots of problems, but I just don't think it's going to undermine the leadership. I think that overall the leadership is pretty stable. Okay. Well, thank you very much indeed for joining us, David Zweig, there. Uh, uh, a professor Emeritus at the University of Science and Technology in the Division of Social Science Director the Transnational China Consulting Limited. And uh, Mark Simon, columnist with uh, Next Media, employee of uh, Next Media. Thank you both very much indeed for joining us this morning. A couple of uh, unrelated uh, comments uh, just to finish off. Uh, R says, can you ask someone who is in the know who 
is in the business exemption class for no virus test at the border. Is it the same people who qualify for the bridge to nowhere, i.e. loyalists? It seems the government is overtly playing tough on COVID, but covertly supporting its supporters. That comes from uh, R. And finally, Martin says it's uh, notable that C.Y. Lung, former executive councillor, has so far been silent about the conviction of his advisor, Barry Chung, tycoon and pioneer of the failed Hong Kong Mercantile Exchange, now disgraced and jailed. This contrasts with Mr Lung's reported offer of a million Hong Kong dollars for information dealing with the conviction of people breaching the news national security law. Perhaps Mr Lung will be able to clarify his stance on the application of the criminal law in Hong Kong, particularly as the NSL can be applied in secret and result in so-called transgressors being sent to China to stand trial. No doubt his former close colleague Barry Chung is relieved to be in prison in Hong Kong rather than across the boundary, where his apparent infractions of the law could result in life in prison or even the death penalty. That comes from Martin. Thank you very much indeed for that. Danny, many thanks to you. Have a good weekend. Uh, the weather looks fine and uh, very hot. The maximum temperature about 34 degrees. Light winds, it's going to stay fine and again very hot over the weekend. Showers increasing gradually next week. A little windier in the middle and latter parts. The very hot weather warning in place. Now 30 degrees, relative humidity is at 74%. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion, and I'm usually quite laid back. But you can count me in to fight COVID-19. Here are my tips. Don't go to work and seek medical advice promptly if you're unwell. Avoid eating out or going out if it's not necessary. Keep at least one meter apart from others and avoid contact with people who show symptoms. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. These are the tips for us to prevent COVID-19. 933, the news now with Samantha Butler. Civic Party lawmaker Kwok Ki has accused the government of negligence for expanding its quarantine exemptions, which he says resulted in the latest outbreak of the coronavirus. Dr Kwok told RTHK that initially only hundreds of people were exempt from quarantine, such as cross-border truck drivers or flight crew. But this number surged when the government began allowing people with businesses on the mainland to freely travel. The American Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has called on free nations to triumph over the threat of what he said was a new tyranny from China. In a speech, Mr Pompeo accused Beijing of biting the international hands that were feeding it and of exploiting the freedom and openness of American society. And President Trump has announced he's cancelling the main gathering of the Republican National Convention in Florida in August, following a spike in coronavirus cases there. Mr Trump said the timing wasn't right to go ahead with the event in Jacksonville. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello, Phil. How are you? Not too bad at all. Good morning. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me, Phil. It's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zip. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Room. Good morning to you and welcome to Friday. It is the last one of the week and it's great to be back with you. Well, there isn't an awful lot of point talking about happy things with chefs and restaurateurs at the moment as that's one adjective we're just going to have to put on hold for a little while regarding their industry. Yeah, the boys don't want me bothering them. So basically after 10, we're going to do some takeaway with some happy Friday music until 11 o'clock and 